my encounter, which predicts the end of time to occur on the 21st of December of this year. This year. This year. Good morning, and welcome to episode 107 of Effectively Wild, the Baseball Prospectus Daily Podcast. And she keeps me satisfied! Thank you. Uh, in New York, New York, where it is December 21st in my time zone, and the world is not over, and we have recorded a podcast, or we are recording one. I'm Ben Lindbergh, and in Long Beach... Uh, California, where we hope his wireless signal strength will cooperate. Sam Miller. Hello, I Sam. Just, yeah, I mean, I don't, I understand that there were problems yesterday, but I don't know that we can blame it on me. Uh, I think we can. <laughs> I'm, I'm it, comfortable I, doing that. I think it's, I mean, it's just as likely that it was your fault as mine. Mm, I would argue with that. I, I, w- I mean, I wouldn't. I wouldn't blame it on you directly. It's like, it's more of an institutional problem. <laughs> but I'm very near my my wireless signal. I'm no longer in the car. I mean, I'm I'm in the cold, so I can be close. So you were in you were not in the car last night. I was not in the car last night. I was I was just just probably twelve feet from my wireless radio. Hmm. Well, we'll yep. see how it goes today, and if you start cutting out. <laughs> If you start cutting out, I will stop this. Um, uh, so this is... James Hetfield, soundboard. Will yeah. you stop then? Probably, yes. All right. Uh, well, this is our last show before Christmas. Um, we have brought sort of two topics. I don't know if they're two full topics, but they're close to full to- two full topics. Uh, you want to talk about What? Uh, well, uh, you, why don't you just say what you want to talk about and then we'll decide whether we have to, what do you want to talk about? Uh, I, I wanted to talk about kind of the, the impact of qualifying offers at this point in the off season. Hmm. Okay. And I think we should probably talk about what you want to talk about also. Okay. Well, I mean, I was suggesting that we might talk about the Cubs rotation and yeah. uh, the signings that they made this week of Edwin Jackson and Carlos Villanueva. Makes sense to me. Um, but maybe those will just flow off of each other. I think they will. So why don't you tell me what's interesting about qualifying offers and their impact this year? Um, so I was just looking at the top free agents remaining, and the top free agents remaining are... Uh, Michael Bourne, whom we ranked third, or R.J. Anderson ranked third at the beginning of the offseason. Nick Swisher, who was fifth. Kyle Loesch, who was ninth. Adam LaRoche, who was 13th. And Rafael Soriano, who was 20th. And all five of those guys have something in common. They received qualifying offers from their teams. And I wonder whether you think that it's a coincidence that they are the, the five top free agents remaining. We we saw nine people get qualifying offers. Uh, David Ortiz and Hiroki Kuroda resigned with their teams. And Josh Hamilton and BJ Upton got qualifying offers and then signed with new teams. But so far, they are the only two who have. Uh, and I wonder whether the, the five remaining guys who all have qualifying offers and therefore cost a draft pick uh, I wonder how much of a disincentive that has been to teams. Um, 
it seems like the fact that those are the five guys remaining has something to do with that, unless it's just a coincidence. Yeah, I don't think it is a coincidence. I think what's interesting is um, the Red Sox have a protected pick, so if they sign a free agent, it would only be their, their second-round pick. And so when I was doing um, the transaction analysis for Mike Napoli, I um, talked briefly about qualifying offers and whether uh, the Rangers had, had erred in not giving Napoli a qualifying offer, since mm-hmm. he had essentially signed for uh, the qualifying offer to, to recap is would have been a uh, one year and $13.3 million, and Napoli signed for three years and 39. So you would think that, um, you know, you would think that if he's worth three years and 39, he would he would be worth one year and 13.3, and that he probably would have rejected that mm. that offer if he had had a good sense of his market. But. Um, sorry? But. Uh, but what? Yeah. Was there a but coming? I was going to yeah. add a but. Yeah, okay. There, <laughs> there is a but coming. <laughs> okay. So, I, uh, so I, I noted that um, it didn't seem to be a factor uh, or it probably wouldn't have been a factor for Napoli because the Red Sox signed him and, and they would have had a protected pick anyway and it probably wouldn't have mattered. And I actually got a note from one of the uh, Red Sox beat writers, and I'm sorry, I don't remember which one it was, um, telling me that, that actually he thought that it, it was a factor and that the Red Sox um, m- might not have signed him even at, at the expense of a second-round pick, that, that uh-huh. even even that would have been enough to discourage them from signing Napoli and, and maybe going in another direction for their DH. And I think specifically it was that um, basically coming down to the decision of whether to sign Napoli or LaRoche, um, probably it was the second-round pick. And so if, if the Red Sox would make that decision with the second-round pick um, on the line, then uh, imagine you know the teams that are have like the you know a, a mid or even late first round pick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know that it's a problem. It seems like this is, uh, I guess, the way the system was designed. I know Buster only wrote something the other day about this, and he said uh, the new rules were designed to ensure that only elite free agents who received $13.3 million qualifying offers from their former teams were attached to draft pick compensation. The hope was that the compensation wouldn't hinder the players at all this winter, but that's not how it's playing out in the eyes of some general managers and agents. Um, and someone said about Rafael Soriano, he's a good pitcher, said one GM, but I don't think teams are wild about giving up a draft pick for a reliever. Uh, and so Buster said, especially in light of other rule changes, the draft and international signing spending caps, which prevent teams that sign top free agents from making up for lost picks by splurging on picks in later rounds, because teams have constrained opportunity to improve their organizations through the draft, they are more reluctant to surrender picks. Um, so that makes sense. Uh, and so I guess it didn't affect Josh Hamilton very much or... I guess maybe he would have gotten a bigger deal otherwise. Who knows? Um, I'm kind of surprised that it didn't seem to affect Upton very much. Mm-hmm. But I guess it is affecting the the remaining guys. And, I mean, it was kind of a problem under the old system when a reliever would be a type A free agent and no one would want to sign him. Like Juan Cruz is the example that everyone uses. Um, but... I don't know. I mean, is this is this a problem? Is this not working the way it's designed, or is it a good thing that that 
I mean, for competitive balance that that teams are thinking twice about signing these guys. I mean, what do you think a draft pick is is worth? What do you think the surplus value of a draft pick is? I mean, like imagine, <laughs> let's say let's say that the Angels really did. I, I doubt they did, but let's say that they really did say, okay, we're going to lose a draft pick, so we're going to lower our our offer to Hamilton by a corresponding amount. Mm-hmm. Um, what would that corresponding amount be? I mean, what do you think the twenty second pick has? I mean, especially, I guess it's hard to say because. Anybody who's looked at this question in the past would have looked at it uh, from the old CBA framework, and now with the new CBA, uh, you know the, the value of a draft pick is different. But I mean, it, it, let's say it was the twenty-second pick in the first round, and you give it up. I mean, mm-hmm. what what is that? Maybe two to four million? Yeah, in surplus I'm, value. I'm looking at some old research. Uh, Victor Wong at Hardball Times did a valuing the draft article. This is from 2009, and he said that the surplus value of a pick uh, from 16 to 30, he said, was six and a half million. But then yeah. that it falls to like two million or so from picks 31 to 45. Um, so I guess it's sort of significant. I don't know that those yeah. numbers are still uh, completely accurate. Maybe they're worth more now. I don't know, but. Um, that's that's pretty significant. That certainly makes you think twice about signing someone like Soriano. And we talked about Soriano and his opt-out, I think, even before the end of the season. Um, and I remember, I think probably both of us thought it made sense for him to opt-out. Now it's not so clear that it did. No. Yeah, not at not. all. Well, there are three players who have, I guess... I. There were, if you include uh, Angel Pagan, but we probably shouldn't for the purposes of this. But so there are three players who didn't receive qualifying offers, um, who you might have been surprised if you had known what they were going to end up signing for. And those yeah. three are uh, Tory Hunter, who signed for two years and twenty six, so essentially a qualifying offer, but times two years. And then Napoli, who essentially got thirteen million for three years, and, uh, and Edward Jackson. We're going to talk yeah. about now, yeah. So who got? 13 million for four years and yeah. the mystery is whether their teams made a mistake i i thought that teams were too cautious in offering qualifying offers mm-hmm. uh, all three of those plus pagan seemed unlikely to me to accept it uh given that the you know it's only one year deal um but it's really hard to know i mean it, it's it, without knowing how much this pick is really affecting teams um, interest in a dollar value, and I guess the players wouldn't really know that. They would be guessing, and the agents would be guessing at this point. Yeah, uh, they would have been at the beginning of the offseason. They would have been, yeah. yeah. So it's 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 hard to know. I mean, there's a there's a sort of a math that's going to take a few years to develop. I mean, only refer to it as an unintended consequence, and I think that that's accurate. I don't know that for sure that it's a permanent consequence, um, but because the more you know, the more the teams start. I mean, right now, like you you mentioned that. Upton was an anomaly, mm-hmm. but really, I mean, you, we shouldn't expect all 30 teams to have the same opinion about this, sure, right? So, sure. so maybe the Braves just don't feel this way, mm-hmm. and maybe the Red Sox are on the extreme end the other way, and you know, every team is going to have a slightly different um, math that they do. And after a few years, the math is going to sort of congeal into a conventional wisdom, and at that point, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, how teams handle it. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what Soriano ultimately signs for. 
um, because people have kind of looked team to team for uh, a fit for him, and there just doesn't seem to be one, at least for someone who would give him the kind of money that he was making before that he and Scott Boris seemed confident in making at the start of the winter. Um, but I guess it's still fairly early in the offseason by Scott Boris standards. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at, at this time last year, everyone was thinking Prince Fielder was not going to get the deal that Scott Boris wanted him to get. Um, and he did at the end of January. He found sure. uh, a taker and an owner who would give him tons of money. So uh, yeah. people are kind of expecting that to maybe happen again. Everybody thought that, like, for instance, Edwin Jackson wasn't going to get the deal. And then he... Yeah. So, all right. So I guess we can <laughs> just talk about Edwin Jackson now. I don't. I actually don't want to... I, 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 I keep missing these obvious segues, but I... <laughs> I Real quick, though, yeah. uh, Soriano and LaRoche seem to be the two players who are most on the bubble who they could end up regretting not accepting their qualifying offer. Yeah. I don't know what kind of deal either is going to get, and certainly with you know Soriano, you don't doubt Boris, but um, do you think that they're likely to get uh, deals big enough that they won't regret turning down $13.3 million in one year? Uh, I wouldn't give LaRoche... A deal big enough. I wouldn't give either of them a big deal, uh, a deal big enough. But I think, probably, yeah, they will. I don't think they'll be. I don't think they'll regret it too much. I don't know. Um, it's I possible. Bet, yeah, I bet Laroche. I, I kind of think Laroche will end up signing f- with Washington. Yeah. And, I mean, and, he's had like a. I think he's had a, a two-year offer for a while from them that he's just kind of sitting on. Yeah. So I think that he'll end up being fine and uh, you know Washington obviously doesn't have to worry about giving up a pick I could see Soriano I don't know it seems hard it's hard to find a, a great fit for him anyway I guess he's regretting it uh, but you know he, he took his chance I, I don't know that I would feel bad about it it just might not work out mm. all right so Edwin Jackson um, is has capped off the Cubs uh, offseason rebuilding of their rotation they signed four pitchers and all four pitchers are sort of interesting. None of them is exactly an ace, and yet, um, you know, as a whole, taken as a whole, Scott Baker, Carlos Villanueva, uh, Scott Feldman, and uh, Jackson, combined with Matt Garza and Jeff Marja, to give the Cubs, uh, all of a sudden, a deep and potentially kind of good rotation. Like, I, I, I sort of like that rotation, although it could go terribly wrong. So I'm just actually, um, what interests me about this is that it's we've sort of talked about how it's supposed to be hard to get players now because nobody hits free agency and there's so much money in the game. And yet the Cubs, who are a terrible team, I think they had the 29th best record last year in baseball. Um, and before this run, didn't even seem to be, you know, aiming for competition for a year. <clears throat> right. They were able to rebuild a rotation with comp guys and for cheap i mean i don't, I don't think they spent more than like ish in dollars and i since the only has deal that goes more than uh, you're fading a little bit again tapping you're, you're fading you're, <laughs> Am I, uh, <clears throat> one of us is one of any, us is all right so uh if i keep fading then you just pause it or something okay okay so um, the, I just wondered, do you think um, the Royals 
of course, also went to work on their rotation, and they they went about it in a very different way. Um, they kind they they took on yeah Edwin Irvin Santana's contract. They re-signed Guthrie, uh, and they added fields. So you could say that they invested a lot in guys who maybe I don't know. Are there different kinds of pitchers? But they also rebuilt um, the Blue Jays, of course also rebuilt their rotation at the expense of a, a full farm system's worth of talent. And then the Cubs did it on the cheap. And I'm not saying that the Cubs rotation is anywhere near as good as the Blue Jays, for instance, but mm-hmm. like, do you think that there's reason to think that the Royals couldn't have signed these same four players for roughly the same price and done it that way? Yeah, I, I mean, that was one of the, the big criticisms of that trade, I think, was not just so much that, I mean, that the, that the talent they got back was imbalanced compared to Myers, but that they could have done it in a, a similar way without giving up Myers. I mean, there was, I think Jeff Passan wrote that, that David Glass wouldn't pay for Anibal Sanchez, uh, and maybe that's the case, but yeah, I mean, you'd think they could have kind of stocked these rotation spots with free agents who wouldn't have cost any draft picks without giving up Myers. I mean, I guess Edwin Jackson was too rich for them, probably. Um, Back after they traded for Santana and resigned Guthrie, mm-hmm. but. Those three that they have are going to make about as much as uh, I think more than the, the four that the Cubs have. I mean, I'm not. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not. You. I'm not necessarily knocking the Royals. I'm not saying that their rotation is necessarily worse. I haven't really looked at it. I'm not saying that the way they did it is necessarily worse. Uh, but uh, I mean, I don't know. On the surface, the Cubs way looks like pretty good bargain shopping, and we've kind of. I think we've kind of gotten used to this idea that bad teams can't sign free agents because free yeah. agents mm-hmm. the Cubs count as a bad team because they are still yes, the Cubs. Definitely. They're going to have the money to spend. Um, so maybe it is different. Maybe they've gotten well, it's. I mean, Zach Levine wrote an article for BP on Thursday about how the Astros are not really spending any money this uh, offseason, except they they did sign Jose Veras and Carlos Pena. And so he was wondering kind of how to evaluate those two signings because it's it's not like those two signings make the Astros competitive or anywhere near competitive, and they could have uh, fielded league minimum players at those positions and maybe won one or two fewer games or something. And, and really what are what's one or two wins to the Astros. And I guess the Cubs could have done something similar uh, in that I'm sure they're not expecting to win in 2013 or to compete in 2013 any more than the Astros are. So why are they going out and signing Edwin Jackson and Scott Feldman and Carlos Villanueva and, and Fujikawa and all the free agents that they've signed when they could have saved their money and I guess the difference maybe is that they're the Cubs so they're a bigger budget team and they can afford to do things like that um 
Or maybe they're just kind of signing Edwin Jackson with the idea of trading him before long. There's, I think there's no no trade in the in the deal. Um, Who would trade Edwin Jackson? <laughs> right. There's no precedent for trading Edwin Jackson. But the Cubs, I mean, come on, you can't put the Cubs in the especially after this offseason, You can't put the Cubs and the Astros on the same. I mean, the the Cubs are at least as good a team right now as the Orioles and A's looked to be last year. I mean, at least as good a team, maybe as good as the Nationals looked to be last year. And they're a swisher away from being, uh, you know, a 500 team that things could break right and put them better. So, mm-hmm. I mean, come on, the Cubs are way better than the Astros. They certainly are now. Would they be way better if they had signed no one? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, they'd be better probably, but not. I would, I would think they would be... I would think they would be significantly better. Mm-hmm. Uh, they might have been the. I mean, they're on the cusp of of uh, not being. Uh, you know, they're they're on the cusp of the of the hopeless line. Right. And I might have put them at like the twenty sixth or twenty seventh best team in baseball before. Mm-hmm. But they did this. I mean, they did this all pretty cheap and yeah. pretty quick. And I mean, right now, I think they're. I would probably. I don't know. Maybe eighteenth or nineteenth best in baseball. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting to see them sign so many free agent starters because that's something that Andrew Friedman has not done once in the entire time he's been in Tampa Bay unless uh, Roberto Hernandez slash Vasto Corona ends up starting, then he would be the first. But some teams kind of have a policy against doing this, or at least the Rays do, because they feel that it's not likely to work out. Um, But of course, they are on a much more shoestring budget than the Cubs are. And I guess that gives them the freedom to sign someone like Jackson. And as RJ pointed out in the transaction analysis today, it kind of gives them a a guy who can be expected to pitch some innings and gives them some freedom to experiment with uh, younger starters, I guess, and see how they work out. And I don't know. I mean, I don't, Dislike the deal. I, I wonder when when we I think we talked about whether Edwin Jackson would get this deal either right before the end of the season or right after, uh, because this is the deal that he was looking for last off season. I I have a vague sense that he was looking for something uh, with these exact terms or very close to it, uh, and he didn't get it that season. And then. He went on to have a very Edwin Jackson-like season for the Nationals. He didn't really raise his stock in any way, I wouldn't say, from last offseason. So I wonder why he could only land a one-year deal for less per year last winter, and now he can get a four-year deal. Yeah, I guess the first thing you would think is that Boris botched it last year, Mm -hmm. although I mean, you know, you might not put it all on Boris. It might just be the the way that the timing worked out. You sort of gamble a little bit once you get deeper into this in the off season, and maybe it just got too deep. So you would sort of think that though that you would blame it on, you know, th- they failed to execute last off season. But maybe the point is the opposite. Maybe maybe it got to the point where teams were offering him two years and maybe even three years. And maybe it was actually incredibly savvy for Boris to say, no, we'll just take our one year. We think the money will be there next next December. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, it was. I mean, he obviously there was some risk involved in that. 
But Edwin Jackson has been so steady that, you know, there's not a ton of risk as far as pitchers go. He's probably a lot less risky, Mm -hmm. uh, or he was risking a lot less than a lot of pitchers. Yeah, it was the proverbial pillow contract. The favorite terms. Yeah. Um, Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think my favorite part of this podcast was when I referred to the Cubs as the 18th or 19th best team in baseball. As I <laughs> into this, and I just can't decide whether they're 18th or 19th. But it's I, the work I've done has been really specific. Right. It's just, just I can't quite say 18th or 19th, as though I have. <laughs> the yeah. Have thought at all about this? The effectively wild power rankings. We'll have the full the full list out soon. Um, so RJ made the point. Uh, sorry, you're you're cutting in and out again. Okay, go ahead. We're gonna be angry. Um, so RJ said that uh, Jackson has not spent more than 363 consecutive days. He actually counted the the days uh, with a team since the 2008 trade when he went from Tampa Bay to Detroit. And since then, he went to Arizona and then the other Chicago team and then St. Louis and Washington and now back to Chicago. Uh, How many years of this four-year deal do you think he will spend with the Cubs? Uh, I'll say four. Really? I think that, yeah, I mean, I don't... can settle down. I think that um, if you... I actually thought this about uh, the Sanchez deal when it looked like it was going to happen, but I'm just going to transfer my opinion over to Edwin Jackson. If you look at next offseason's pitchers, uh, there's a lot of old guys and a lot of sort of guys who might not be that attractive a year from now, uh-huh. and um, I think that it actually might be the, the sort of safe thing to do now is to sign Jackson or Sanchez, who are both relatively young, both relatively reliable. Uh, it might actually be more conservative to sign them for the years 2014 to 2016 than to try to sign somebody on next year's free agent market for the years 2014 to 2016. So I think that Jackson fits into the Cubs' long-term plans. I think that they will be competitive before uh, this deal is over, and I don't think they'll be anxious to move him when they're competitive. So I'm going to say that Edwin Jackson either finishes the contract with the Cubs or is traded by a non-competitive Cubs team in summer of 2016. All right. So Edwin Jackson can start looking at houses or apartments in the uh, Chicago area. Yeah, I mean, he's got so much money, he should probably be investing in real estate anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. I guess we're done for several days now. Um, so the plan for Baseball Prospectus is to be back the day after Christmas. Uh, presumably we will try to be back then too. Maybe we'll do a Wednesday morning show. We'll see how that goes. Um, and if we do do three shows next week, you know what that means. <laughs> we, we will end the week on a multiple of five. And then we will instantly ruin it the next week when we're off for New Year's. Um, so uh, if you are someone who celebrates Christmas, enjoy celebrating Christmas. And I guess by the time we get back, it will be time for another email show if we do one Wednesday. So send us emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com and we will answer them when we return. So have a nice break from us and we will have a nice break from you.